Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lamont. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. Now, we may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is cultural buy-ins. But before we get to that, Colin, it's the spookiest time of the year. I mean, it's just past the spookiest time of the year, but I'm going to no, give it to you. No, I mean, it's election day. I, You know what? Actually, Jess, I'm going to agree with you. It's the spookiest time of year, but I will tell you why. Because in the Midwest, November is but the harbinger for the cruel and bitter winter that will follow within the Midwest. I know you know this. The I do know this. The cruel and bitter winter that will follow within the Midwest. Maybe we'll be lucky and there will be snow on Christmas and that will seem appropriate. But usually most of the snow and bitter ice and death that we get is in January and February where there is nothing to break up the monotony. And then it continues on into March and occasionally the beginning of April, and depending on how much Mother Nature wants to kick us in the so- short pants. Short pants? Short, Don't worry about pants? it. Ah, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm just going to let that train of thought derail and just crash and burn into the side of a mountain uh, and be picked over by all of the uh, rhetorical vultures. That, it that draws. one did not get to the station. All hands lost. But speaking of all hands that are not lost, you just came from a wedding and I just had one. Yeah. Yeah, man. What is it about late October or just October in general that makes people go, yes, this is the wedding time? Oh, that's that's super easy. Late September, early to mid October are like the best times in uh, in the Midwest. We have like a very short window for fall. It comes fast. It comes hard. It's very pleasant. It's very nice. Mm. Uh, and then it's gone forever uh, until the next time that it comes when we are blessed with it after what we assumed was an eternity of blistering, hateful heat that only came off the backs of an unforgiving cold. You know, that makes sense, because my cousin got married in Chicago around the same time last year, and the year before that, my mom got remarried in, uh, like, that was early September, and yeah, it was still wedding season, buddy. super I, hot. Spring and October are usually the wedding seasons uh, for I how that I just, stuff goes down. I don't in get invited anyways. to a whole lot of weddings, you know? I don't either, bro. I don't either. But, you know who might get invited to a whole lot of weddings? The PCs in our theoretical listeners' games. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on that journey with me. You are welcome. You know I'm always there to come along. Now, have you ever, uh, I guess, I guess I sell, I'll say officiated a wedding in-game? Um, I actually did have a wedding happen in-game once. Oh, it wasn't... Okay. I was playing a dark heresy game uh, with Ryan and a couple of other with a couple of other folks, and I was running a side session for Ryan. I just and... I just want to interject right here and say dark heresy seems like the perfect system that you want to have weddings in, just well, yeah, based I on know. the name alone. Yeah, nothing nothing bad will happen, and you will definitely have a happily ever after. Everything will go well. 
everything goes real well because that's how that system works. It's great. Just ignore everything that is written about that system, and it's great. <laughs> so go on. Um, okay. So he went to a uh, a planet where there was a tribe that hunted these ice worms that were very um, kind of very Nordic esque folk. And, uh, he, and when, you know, when he came in, uh, there was this, there was this kind of first thing, this, this feast that they had. And when he was sitting there, some women came up to like, give him some, give him some meat. And one of the, uh, one of the hunters was like, whoa there, buddy, you don't want that. Uh, in our tribe, if you, if you take meat offered to you, it was prepared by a woman. It is a, a contract of matrimony. And he was like, oh, okay. Then I definitely won't do that. Um, there are a few sessions later, he's met this, he's met this, like, plucky girl from the tribe that, like, actually follows him back onto his ship and goes back to his, and goes, like, back to his agro world that he lives on with, like, his parents, and, like, it was, like, three sessions later, she just came up to him one day with, like, a platter of meat that she prepared and gave it to him, and I was like, oh, I just definitely eat that, that was nice of her to prepare it, and she was like, I accept. He was like, what? <laughs> oh... Oh, that's so good. Because <laughs> that brings in two of my favorite things when we talk about topics like this. The first of which is interesting and unusual customs that seem really weird from our, like, very quote-unquote normal perspective, mm -hmm. but do make a certain amount of sense. Right, and of the second is players completely spacing on things that they thought would never be relevant again, and are suddenly extremely relevant again. Man, I love when characters don't think something's going to be relevant. Oh, it's so good. There's nothing more satisfying than bringing something back into a campaign and having your players just go, Wait, this sounds familiar. Oh my god. It's the best. What's what's really interesting is especially in some of the um wide arrayed sci-fi games or the fantasy games where you kind of get to make up your own cultural um customs, traditions and beliefs for these different races or societies that they come across is that like you get to see how the players choose to interact with it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how they translate that through the eyes of A, their character, or B, the person who's actually, you know, who's actually running, uh, like, who's actually running the character. You know, um, I remember there was a friend of mine who ran a game in which, uh, in this one city, necromancy was not considered evil. In fact, um, I believe it was, yeah, so, like, at least... So, like, when your family members died, their corpses were offered up to the great scavenger lord who would bring them back as undead servitors who would then be the servants in your house. So, like, so like, you know, Gram-Gram would be around forever. Sorry to lose you, Gram-Gram, but now you get to clean my chamber pot. I mean, like, not as intelligent undead. They would just be thralls. Uh, which, like, you know, from, from my standpoint, sounds absolutely horrifying, but they created a culture that was based off of it. I, I actually made a character in that in that city who's uh who had a specialized service in makeup and perfume to come in and kind of like 
pretty up your thralls so they looked better. Oh my god. That sounds fantastic, and I want to make a TV show based on it, and it will be Queer Eye for the Dead Guy. I was going to call it Glam Gaunt. Oh, that's also pretty good. (laughs) Can we change Gaunt to Ghast? I guess we can call it... Well, I mean, it depends. Yes, we can, but if it's in a D&D world, that's a very specific kind of undead. Oh, you're right. So... they're weird. What, what, what did this character do? Uh, this so this character, my character, um, and I only got to play a few sessions with him before uh, the session actually ended. But he was a he was a summoner who eventually wanted to become the pirate. I mean, the scavenger lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like to rule over the city. But in order to get there, he's like, all right, I'm not going to do it with sheer necromancy might. I know how I'll do it: capitalism, and started his own business. Um, based around going to the nobles that have more thralls and saying, look, they appear to be rotting and like, that can't smell great. Most of you are still alive. So uh, how about this? My specific service uh, utilizes chemicals and perfumes to make them look, you know, almost passably alive and or even extremely passively alive, or they can go. We can go in entirely different directions. We can get their we can get their face done up in all kinds of things, painted circus. Right? It depends on what you want to celebrate. I will dress up your thralls. See, that engages with the fiction in a way that I think a lot of players have a little bit of trouble with, where you are not mm. only taking what's given to you and utilizing that, but you're adding more to it. Exactly. No, no, no. That's And that's the thing that I always want out of my player characters is to find some kind of an edge, some kind of a piece in what I have offered them in this culture and be like, all right, well, if A is B, then that means C might be D, right? And I'm like, well, it is now. And that's awesome. Yes, that's one of my favorite experiences running or even just playing in games is having players look at the source material, whether that's, like, a pre-established setting or, like, the real world plus monsters or whatever you have in your game, and taking that to places that the writer or just you as the GM didn't think about yet. Uh, For a real quick example, my longest running consec- or consistent character at this point, Rion, my uh, mm-hmm. badass lady paladin. In her backstory, when I was writing it, like, goodness, approaching four years ago at this point, um, I utilized a small uh, nation, we'll say, called the River Kingdoms mm-hmm. in the setting of Galarian. And there's... You know, there's information about it that I could find online. It's a it's a Pathfinder setting, so pretty much everything is in various wikis and findable. Sure. But I I basically just decided like, okay, this is a place run by like river pirates, and created this whole backstory for her, and then river pirates. It right. Like, that that was just a whole fun little thing that I, I don't remember if I came up with or expanded upon, but it's something that has subtly influenced 
her whole life, like from the skills that I gave her on the sheet to the way she interacts with things. Like she doesn't, she doesn't inherently trust people because everybody she grew up with was a literal bandit. And then she was like, nah, but I'm going to be a paladin though. So I have to trust people, even though I think I shouldn't. You know, when I think of river pirate, I think of pirates on like barges, like river boats. And I'm like, that would be kind of fun. How interesting would, would be. that be to paint? Like literally paint or paint a word picture? Well, like paint as in when sometimes when I uh, have an idea, I think of how cool it would look as a setting, as a piece of art or mm -hmm. as a picture or a drawing. And then I'm like, you know what? That would look awesome. And then I sit down and I remember that I can only draw stick figures and I get frustrated. This is why we collect artist friends like Pokemon cards. And that's true. Also makes it very unfortunate that having the money to commission our artist friends at a fair rate to get them mm -hmm. to create the cool stuff that we have in our brains is less doable. Yeah, I, I know. I know. But whew, man, they're they're awesome and awe inspiring talents. And you know, just plain inspiring. Oh, yeah. That's very true. And you know what? Speaking of inspiring talents, you are quite an adept storyteller, Jess. Why don't you uh -huh. regale us with uh, one of the one of your favorite cultural either beliefs or, or a microcosm of a culture that you built in any of the games that you ran? Something that you really enjoyed, so much so that you almost wish you could go back and explore it a little more. So, I'm going back to my Monday night games because they are, generally speaking, the most relevant thing on my mind. Uh, and in our Eberron game that we've been playing for a while, we have this kind of rule where any media that we want to reference from the real world, usually for things like jokes, but occasionally for things like, hey, my character is a little bit genre savvy when it comes to this because I personally am incredibly familiar with, say, Star Wars. Nope. Uh, all of that exists in universe as various like poetic edda or stage plays or traveling minstrel shows Ooh, minstrel shows is probably not exactly what i wanted to say there but we'll move right along <laughs> and this often leads itself to some pretty wacky um like one-off jokes just things that don't actually matter in the grand scheme of things it's more an exercise of can we come up with a fun like Dungeons and Dragons pun based around either the author's name of this work or the title itself. Uh, I would throw out some examples, but to be honest, I can't remember any specific ones. And anything that I come up with off the cuff here is just not going to be quite as good as I want it to be. So if I remember any, I'll just shout them out randomly and you can enjoy that little... Uh, near Tourette's moment in the future. Perfect. That's how I've always wanted it to be, Jess. Just to be, just, you know, so we're clearing this up. This is my expectation. Good. Uh, where that comes into play culturally for our characters is 
my uh, my character Staniel is a dwarven bard from a very different country than pretty much everybody else. Uh, so I like to occasionally bring in things that he's familiar with from growing up in I I think it's Karnath. Uh, I can never keep all of the names straight. Which, you know, for a lore bard is just super useful, but that's why I take notes. Uh, <laughs> but it's always, like, really weird, dark stuff, because Karnath was the one where, hey, we've got a big hundred-year-long war. Let's, uh, let's resurrect all of our dead soldiers as zombies and send them back out onto the battlefield. Seems like a good plan. Yeah, Saves on manpower, saves on recruitment. It's just super wholesome and good, and when you expect your brother to come home from war and what you see is a shambling corpse that pretty much deserted the ranks to come and join you, uh, it's not traumatizing at all. Wait, 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 wait. I, I could have I misheard you, because you, you mentioned someone shambling home as a corpse as they deserted the ranks, and it made me think that these zombies were, like, coming back to life, and they're like, no, never mind, I'm actually done with war. This time around, I'm going to be a farmer, and they just shamble home with their rotten selves to go and grow turnips. I mean, that kind of is what happened after, like... The whole rest of the living people in the battalion all got nuclearified. That's horrible. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oof. Super dark. Oh, yeah, it gets super weird. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But it kind of, it lended itself to this whole idea of like, well, how then does my character view stories about like, people coming back from the dead. And so, in-universe, we have the story of Jesus Christ. Not to be confused with Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ was a, uh, I believe, a, a gnome magician of some sort. I'm remembering this as I say it, so if I get details wrong and anybody from my game is listening, uh, tough cookies. It's my story now. Yeah. Uh, who basically, like, was a little bit of a cult leader and then, after death, got necromancified. And this is not an unknown story for most of the world but in Karnath it took on a very different very dark meaning so Jesus Christ is kind of a it's a fun little curse that Staniel likes to throw around every now and then and I just want to clarify I am not saying Jesus Christ the name of the Christian Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a completely different original character do not steal T-M-C-R, hashtag, my OC. <laughs> but yeah, so, I, I think a lot of the things that I like to do, and sorry to interrupt you real there. No, no, um, by all means. A lot of the things I like to do with stuff like that is kind of this off-the-cuff, I, I guess it's not really buy-in because I'm just sprinkling in things that interest me, but... All of those things together create sort of a patchwork culture for my characters. And as a as a storyteller, as a DM, and I'll I'll speak a little bit more on the player side of things in just a moment. But like as a DM, 
taking the time to really sit down and ask yourself, you know, when you're making these cultures, what things will be more subtle, implied, uh, the style of clothing that they wear, their art, kind of the way their history goes, and what will be more overt to the player characters? What kind of cultural differences about um, the situation or the circumstance that a player finds themselves in, what about that is going to uh, complicate the story? What What's really fun to do and what I think is very unique um, that storytellers have the opportunity to kind of play around with in these fantasy settings, these grand sci-fi settings, is to create uh, circumstances that would otherwise not be plausible because of some kind of old-held belief within this culture or the way that magic particularly works, etc., etc., where you can create very specific circumstances that can't really be replicated anywhere else that really force your players to kind of think about where they fall in line between like good and evil. Do you stop a ritual that involves like the sacrifice of like people because killing people is wrong or do you let it go because it's the only it's the only reason that this sun blighted patch of earth will actually uh yield any crops for the village that struggles to find life here that that it has that there is a, a demon in the soil that must be slaked of its bloodlust in order to give the people uh the, the the soil that they need in order to grow their food and they just have nowhere else to go so like I do love the word slaked i know it's 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 a word that I don't hear often enough. But you can create or rather put together some of these unique, and I say, I'm saying a lot of the same words, but when you have players that really buy in to the story that you're that you know that you're granting they're not just blowing through town and whatever cultural things you're throwing at them they're like haha all right whatever i drink in the tavern whatever they call a tavern that's where i drink at where's the dragon as long as you've got somebody that really wants to this, explore yeah. those elements that are in the town it, it's a, a huge like for me it's so exciting to take a character down a path that is previously unexplored for them to remark on some previously uninteresting thing that then becomes its whole section uh, of mythos. It can also be a lot of fun just to play with the tropes that people are used mm. to. And by that, I don't mean like, oh, you have to subvert every trope, otherwise you're doing a bad job of the storytelling. Like, you can absolutely have the fantasy tavern that they just go into and play it totally straight. And then once they think they understand everything that's going on, also, by the way, that uh, red-headed bar wench who has been flirting with you the whole time, yeah, she, uh, she waves her hand and a spectral hand carries the drink to you. Oops, Everybody in this town has at least a little bit of magic. What you gonna do about that? That's a weird and unusual thing in this totally normal world. You know, totally normal in like D&D standards because, you know, magic is still supposed to be right. rare and stuff. I know what I was thinking. Also, the uh, a fun place to kind of take your party members that have magic is a town in which there is no magic. And I know that like 
the natural response is, oh, and then there will be fear, fear of the unknown. Ah, a thousand curses on the devilmen and their devilry and their impish and their impish tricks and whatnot. Like, I know it's very easy to go into the normies versus magic benders versus non-benders, that kind of thing. Um, however, have you also considered bringing them to a town in which magic is worshipped? That doesn't happen too terribly often. And think about the implications. Those members of your party that have a limited amount of spell slots during the day are being asked to perform all of these like wondrous miracles to help with the town. And then like when suddenly trouble arises, they have to be like, well, my magic's not infinite. I don't have a well of magic to draw upon. It's more like a bucket. On 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 what you were going with there, though, that did give me a thought. Go for it. I want to see a town where people are just bored of magic. Yeah. Like, nobody there does it because, I don't know, Jerry figured out how to make a cotton gin, and now, like, we're pretty good. Like, we're doing fine. We don't need all your fancy hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo. That requires, like, tons of rigorous magical study. Or having a weird bloodline, or making a pact with some ununderstandable being. We can just like use this steam engine that Billy Bob built. We're, we're uh, I think I know where you're going here. Where, where you'd be in a kind of a culture where magic was so commonplace that science outpaced it and is more reliable, and so they tend to use it. Yeah. Which kind of like. Now that I'm thinking about it, that campaign would pretty much look like, hey, what if you took Dungeons and Dragons and then put it in, like, 1890s America? It'd be steampunk. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but without, without the over-reliance on, like, the Victorian trappings and, oh, this weird new fancy magic technology has done everything no i want just like normal ass totally doable completely understandable stuff that just makes people not really want to do magic anymore like yeah i could throw a fireball or i could give 14 random dudes in this town a musket and defend our entire town from the monsters that way. The implications that that creates is is what interests me the most. Uh, it's not something that is oft considered when we look at these settings, but if magic developed hand-in-hand -hand with um, technology, but whereas magic is not quite as reliable and is more symbolic in its terms, its power and its manifestations, and not as measurable as more scientific outputs, actually, how does society benefit? How much of it relies on magic and how much of it relies on science? And where is the divide? What technology gaps were leapt because you had the ability to conjure a fireball and then thus never needed to learn how to do this specific, uh, like this specific function. Instead, you just completely bridge gap, uh, bridge gap from, from, uh, from one age to another by using magic, but start using science on that magic. You know, there is a really, really fun and good example of almost exactly what we're talking about right now. And it's something that 
we've touched on on this podcast before, and eagle-eared listeners who are familiar with my things that I'm familiar with will probably know I'm talking about Avatar. Mm. Legend of Korra did exactly what we're talking about. They did go really steampunk with it, but like magic steampunk. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're Where right. Where it's just it's straight up magic. Yeah, it's it's true. They did do a very interesting, uh, interesting job in marrying both technology and these kind of mystical powers, and what that what that's supposed to mean for everybody, and and that's something that you can yeah. build in your world. But you know, we're not necessarily saying that you have to come up, you know, full scale with sort of a culture like tabula rasa. You don't get to start from nothing and come up with this huge and complicated culture. You can use the cultures that are afforded to you in the books, or if you're running in more of a, you know, modern day game that doesn't have that kind of fantasy culture aspect, you can use the ones that currently exist, but coming up with uh, folk tales, coming up with legends, coming up with tiny towns, just show up on the map with their own kind of weird ways about doing things completely up to you. The yeah. point is, I think ahead. people, Oh, uh, just a real yeah. quick note. I think people get this idea that world building is this huge undertaking. You're building a world, but no writer ever with like maybe a couple of very weird exceptions has started from scratch. You look back at, like, Tolkien, the, the you know, the grandfather of modern fantasy, and he took almost everything from Norse mythology and, like, how that influenced uh, the history of Great Britain, and his idea was basically he wanted to create a British mythology. And then you look at somebody like George R.R. R. Martin, who arguably has really incredible world building, and it's also kind of based on actual history with the War of the Roses, and, like, nobody is completely original. You don't have to ever worry, like, alright, well, I can't do it totally on my own from scratch, so I might as well not do it. There's no bad level of introducing new culture to your games. And we can do an entire episode on reimagining old mythology. And in fact, we did. We talked about gods and things using that in mythology. We could talk about like stories, though, Victorian myths and legends. That's for another time. The um, one of the points that I'm driving at is in order to gain um, character buy in is you have to kind of make these cultures in a certain sense leap off the page. You have to have them leave their mark on the player characters. Now, granted, it's not for every kind of game. For, like, your beer and pretzels kind of game, you're not necessarily going to want to throw so much development into it because, you know, if you're not taking the game seriously, doing a lot of table talk and joking back and forth, you might not have your players absorb most of the work that you put into it. But for some of the more serious games, a little bit of work can go a really long way. Players love mysteries. Especially if you have players that'll, like, engage in it with you. Right, and that's the point. Build into it by not creating it as um, its own separate piece. When you build a new culture, 
consider first how the player might interact with that culture. First consider how the player would, then consider how the character would, because the player usually makes whatever decisions they think the character would make. So it's better to know the player before you go into the character. But as long as you work from the top down, you should be able to find your your rhythm. Create interesting little twists and turns within interactions or within stories or within certain customs and traditions that will deliberately pull in the other player characters. Pull them in by their stories. Pull them in by what they want. Pull them in by what you think that they would find most interesting. Maybe it is in this particular town that there is a festival held once every year and they who tell uh, they who tell the most unsolved uh, the, the who tell the toughest riddle the most fantastic riddle that cannot be solved by the rest of the village are given a magical item that they get to own for the entirety of the year until that festival again. It's the talking stick, and you are now the only person in town who is allowed to talk at will. Everyone else has to come to you for permission. Right. That just sounds like a lot of fun. It, it creates a... Yeah. It can either build into your grand mythos of what is happening, i.e. the great Dracolich that they are hunting down tore through this area, you know, centuries ago when it was still alive, and these tales still exist from such a time that tell of a great weakness. that So it can build into what you're currently doing, or it can simply create a side flavor that gives people a break from the main story. And we've talked a couple of times about, especially in more serious campaigns, giving players an opportunity to take a breather and step back from the main plot to just say, okay, I mean, like, as long as it's not going to be a, a you know, catac cataclysmic and, like, world-ending if they step away from it, to, like, give them an opportunity right. to just build on themselves, have the anime equivalent of like or you know the real world equivalent of the anime beach episode an episode that doesn't necessarily have much to do with the canon but there's like a weird amount of character growth and development that happens there you can also use this to do like holiday specials in your games because if you're like if you are lucky enough to have a session or not a session but a, a recurring like, let's meet weekly or monthly or whatever, mm -hmm. and you have enough time in your game to say, like, well, all right, uh, you know, Thursday is Christmas, and I know people are going to be out and about, so, like, if anybody's going to be around Monday, let's, uh, let's run a Christmas town story. And it's like, everybody wakes up magically teleported to the town of Wintoria. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, take this goofy little idea or take this real world thing that is relevant to you at the time. And if you want to spin out a culture from that, it's way easier than people make it seem. And I don't mean that like, oh, it's so easy. You should just do it. But the standards that people hold themselves to when it comes to creating new things from old things is ridiculously high and you only need to put in as much detail as you think your players are going to need and for a lot of them that's actually way less than you think it is yeah, you know do yourself a favor 
pop onto Google, look up different Japanese festivals. Just go ahead, look at them. Look at all of the different ones and what they celebrate. Yeah, there are several. Pick, pick a few and change some, change some themes. Look for some different ideas. From our real-world examples, we have so many different aspects of storytelling, of, of creating, that in your own personal game, you can take the, the spirit of in ways that kind of shrug off our more westernized ideals of of how things are of how things are run and you can pull inspiration from all around the world yeah japan not your flavor try poland don't like poland how about zambia you know what i knew you were gonna go with zambia i don't know why i knew that but i knew you were gonna go there i've done it okay before. that would probably be why but yeah, uh, we're running up on time, so I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts on this one? I feel like we've said a little and a lot. My final thoughts are this, basically. Begin with a unique twist that will engage the players and then ask the players either through story or directly to their face to help build onto it. When you are collaborating together, the end result is more valuable than a piece that you just came up with on your own. And you might be surprised at what your players, what insights they have into how things could develop and change within what you are creating. Yeah, I'm going to add to that a little bit and just basically say culture, as long as it is lovingly crafted, is beautiful. And there is very rarely a wrong way to do it. So... Go nuts, you know? Follow your heart, and if something interests you, don't be afraid to really dig into that and take it to its logical conclusion. That's where the fun lives. And speaking of where fun lives, just where can people find the amount of fun that we are pumping out? Oh, dude, we're pumping out so much fun all the time on the Facebook and the Instagram and the Tumblr and the Twitter. Uh... I mean, not all the time. I, I have to sleep sometime, but I have been using the Twitter more and I reblog a lot of stuff to the Tumblr and I don't take a lot of photographs. So Instagram is a little neglected, but you can find all of those by going into your respective thing and looking for on Facebook, Instagram and Tumblr, Dodeca podcast. That's D-O-D-E-C-A podcast. And if you want to find us on Twitter... That's at podcast dodeca. Mm -hmm. It is the different one. It is. And um, I also want to throw this out there because it's something that a lot of podcasts do and like a lot of internet creatives do in general that we tend to neglect here. So if you like what you hear and you want to help us grow and you want to 
be a good friend to the show, uh, it would be really great if you could recommend the show to a friend mm-hmm. or to your player group. Uh, if you could go onto wherever you listen to it, iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and thumb us up or give us a good rating or anything like that, that helps shows like ours grow. And we've been around long enough that we can't really be um, like new and notable, which is what helps a lot of shows get off their feet early. Um, so we really need people to... Help us out. Help us spread the message of joy and love and laughter. Also, you can email us. At uh, dodecapodcast at gmail.com Yeah. Send, a, send, us a, send us a question or something. And from all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.